0: Hello and welcome to The Creative Scramble. My name is Cal Thompson and today I'm joined by Brother Film Company. Brother Film Co, what would you prefer? Uh,
1: Brother Film Co, if that's all right with you, mate. Is,
0: is, it, is it a company, would you call it a company or is it Co, shop something else? It is Just short
2: com- company, but we've Brother never Film actually Co called it full company, I don't know quite why. but
0: yeah. Okay, awesome, well welcome to the show, thanks for coming on. Could you tell me a little bit about the kind of stuff that you do?
2: Uh, so yeah, we are yeah, a video production company of four. Um, We've been going about six years now, just over, um, and we mainly make online uh, video um, for yeah, a whole range of different brands. Um, and we also make our own sort of bespoke music and a soundtrack library. Uh, fly drones, um, yeah, pretty broad range within the video production sort of the spectrum.
0: So you, you're being quite modest from what I can tell. You've, you've worked with some massive, massive clients like Red. bull You've done tons of stuff for Red Bull. You know, I've seen bits from, you've worked with Nike and all sorts of th- sorts of massive, massive brands. Like, you know, what's it like working with such huge, huge companies? Is there much um, sort of creative feed freedom with the projects that you work on? Or are you often fulfilling sort of a solid brief set by them?
3: Uh, it varies pretty much every project, really. Um, some, so say, say Red Bull, we've actually kind of worked with them a lot, but that's all direct to client. Um, so often with them, they will come to us with a brief um quite a kind of quite a strong idea of what they 're looking to create and then yeah ho- we hopefully fulfill that um quite well and then other other bigger brands kind of are tied into a creative agency, and then with them, we might have um more input into that creative kind of process right at the start, so creating a bit more of a treatment and an idea about um, what we're going to create, and then, yeah, it's a bit more of a collaboration in that respect. Um,
1: yeah, I, guess it's I don't think it's necessarily even kind of brands or agency specific. Sometimes it can just be project specific. But within kind of, you could have you could do a project with the same. You know, take Rebel as example. You could do one project with them, and it's quite prescriptive what they're looking for, and they've kind of done a lot of that creative thinking in your house. And sometimes it's a lot, a lot broader and they'll come out with a kind of, you know, we do it. There's this event happening or we want to talk about this thing. What's some of the best ways we could do it? Um, so I guess I don't think there's probably not like a hard and fast rule, is there? It's probably more just a, a case by case thing.
0: Awesome. So obviously I've noticed um, the content you put out is quite sort of tailored towards adventure sports. You know, you seem to have worked with some pretty amazing athletes. You know, have seen the, the parkour films, you work with snowboarders, Formula One drivers longboarders, downhill mountain bikers, triathletes, you know, the list, this goes on. Like, what would you say, are you athletes yourself? And, and what would you say is your <laughs> sort of favorite sport? No. Is that, You're not an athlete at all, I was gonna say. <laughs> go on, firstly, are you, are you an athlete yourself? Or do you, just as one of you, at least an athlete?
2: I think athlete would be a very strong term for any of us, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think probably the main reason for it is we, we sort of learnt to film originally through making skate videos. So we, we all skated since we, were, I don't know, Less than 10, probably. So, for the first eight years, from like 10 to 18, we were pretty much only making skate films just f- for ourselves and our, our mates. So, that's the kind of world that we came up through. So, I guess that's always been a sort of main interest of ours, you know, and some of the our sort of bucket list of brands that we work with are, are going to be sports and not like action sports brands just because of that. Um, so, I guess that's probably had quite a big weighting on what we've sort of pushed to film um, but no we're definitely not athletes <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> it's funny you should say that like, I started filmmaking by making jackass films when I was a teenager as well so similar vein like couldn't skate but I could definitely fall off a skateboard and we used to do a lot of similar things so just sort of figuring out on the day you know how to Compose a shot or how to edit was all just self-taught. Um, yeah, exactly, we're the same. I don't have to go through that route anymore <laughs> um, to get the views, but you know, it's uh, interesting how people start. Um, what would you say is your sort of favorite sport to capture, you know, based on what, the this, this sort of, do you prefer being, you know, out on the Alps somewhere or on a racetrack? Is there a particular favorite? Uh,
3: I don't know if there is a particular favorite. It's. I think we love filming cars. I think that's another big passion of what of um, of ours. and like with the automotive stuff, it's, it's generally quite a fun shoot. Um, you kind of could be hanging out in the back of a car filming tracking shots, or kind of trackside, really close to some of the cars that you absolutely love, and it's just loud and fast and messy and um, yeah, it's great. And then often good opportunities to get some good aerial drone shots. But then we've done stuff with. So we did one project with um, a phone case brand, LifeProof, uh, earlier this year. I think it was the first project we did this year. And that was in Paris in like a... Comle- well, it wasn't Paris, was it? <laughs> no, it's more the outskirts, the, the slough of Paris, basically. Um, and we're in an abandoned, disused um, water park. So I think, I think it had been abandoned for about fifteen ish years. Um so when we arrived it was well it was there's was kind of mud, leaves, sticks like absolutely everywhere and we kind of spent two fall. days, yeah, it was flood. or actually flooding. Yeah. Over the course of three days it the water kind of meter ra- yeah, raised about a metre and was kind of starting to we're losing some of our kind of skate spots. Um yeah, we spent about two days clearing mud, building ramps um cleaning grime building a like a ramp out of big metal doors on a roof like all sorts of stuff so and that was with a bmxer skater and a wakeboarder and like those three sports were were brilliant i think that was probably one of our favorite projects ever because it kind of it was a hark back to our like our childhood and just building ramps and yeah it was great fun
0: how do you get access to those types of locations? Is that do you guys organise that, or is like is that done agency side, or do you just stumble upon it, you know, via Google Maps and think, oh, hopefully the police don't come on this shoot. How does that, that work?
3: That particular shoot was a huge strike of luck, really. Um, so it was all that was through an agency that are uh, linked to Give Me Sport, the Facebook page, um, and those guys had used a photographer in the past and he had i think uh last year i think he'd done some he'd done the photography for a wakeboard project at the same location um so he kind of he i think mentioned that this place was really really cool i mean they only used it for one kind of small part and that was only to do with the river so the fact that there was some really good kind of dry skate slash BMX stuff was amazing. Um, so yeah, he mentioned it and then it, it's on like this tiny island in the mid- middle of the river um, and it just so happened that on the river or on that island um, there's two mates that run a drone company. Um, so they got, they got involved on the project. They did all the aerial work and they had used that spot the previous year had all this kind of timber. I think they were building a house at the time as well. So they had all this timber, all the tools that we needed and we could like essentially build a skate park from these guys' house and transport it over to this abandoned location. It was, it was yeah, a bit ridiculous. Surely
0: you have like massive crews on jobs like that or are you quite sort of slick and slim down?
3: Oh. Yeah, that was very small. That was... Well, filming-wise uh, it was just the four of us. Um, then there was the
2: three athletes uh the the drone the french drone guys we just mentioned a photographer two and a from few body, from uh, the agency and, and that was literally piece, about it additional producer yeah it's probably 15 of us total something like that including athletes yeah, yeah. so it's pretty yeah. tiny like, considering what we had to do to get it done
0: <laughs> do you kind of storyboard these types of jobs obviously it's a commercial client so they'll have certain requirements but, or a lot of is it is it just sort of made up on the fly? You know, you see a wicked shot or a wicked location, do you think, let's grab that, and we'll work it out in the edit. Like how much planning goes into sort of those types of shoots?
2: I think again, it's very much dependent on the project. But I think on that one, we had storyboarded. Um, obviously, it it did change a bit once we got on site and realised what we could or couldn't build or do. But we had sort of the rough story of what we were doing, so that definitely helped a lot. Um, but yeah, it's definitely getting, I think the projects we're getting now with storyboarding more and more, we'd never really used to,
1: but um, yeah, it's becoming more common now. It's those kind of projects like that, you guys, you have an ideal in your mind of, hopefully we'll do some, this or something similar, but when there's, it's a project that's got so many unknown, I mean, that is a kind of a slightly extreme example, but with, you, know, you can only get materials, that island, for example, fire boat and the only boats available were essentially small little dinghies and ribs so the fact that the war material was already on the island was insane and they're like giant sheet supply and the fact that we had drills and circular saws and axes and picks and people willing to let us have it that, none of that stuff could really be planned it was completely that was basically just incredibly good luck um, also the, the bmx had happened to have built
2: his own quarterback before yeah, so big. he knew like what shapes we had to create and how
1: to do it so yeah everything was incredibly lucky yeah but like that so I guess it's kind of a case of you have a this would be the ideal and then we kind of you work out what you're going to do that's going to be that or similar to that or kind of you know it gets depending on the shoot it gets a little bit better or a little bit worse depending on what's going on I guess depending on kind of how lucky you end up being
0: yeah there's um you worked on a call it a viral video I guess a couple of years ago that I was a massive massive fan of where you got a a Formula 1 car to go up against a rugby scrum to sort of test their strength I thought it was such a wicked concept like did you guys come up with that one? That was another Red Bull video right?
2: Yeah that was a sort of collaboration between Red Bull um, UK and Red Bull Racing the F1 team and Bath Rugby Club Um, we didn't come up with that concept that was sort of already formed Um, but we again we had to Create the storyboard for that. Uh, once we arrived on site and sort of realised where bits were, like what th- what route the car could take. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much fully formed. But we definitely sort of fleshed it out and created the story. Um, but How yeah. long did
0: that sort of shoot take?
2: Um, well, the yeah. the rugby team had a really important match that Saturday. I think this was on the Tuesday that we filmed it. So they could only do a few hours. Of filming like because it was all they were training hard and didn't didn't want to risk anyone getting injured so I think we had three attempts at the actual scrum and that was it um, so that was about 15 minutes or something really wow. like you that. had
0: what five cameras on it plus maybe because you got loads yeah, of angles out we had, of it it's really impressive with a
2: drone up and then I think it was four or five of us I think we basically just ended up doing we knew we had three takes so we were like we did a wide take then a mid take and then a close take where everyone sort of gradually moving inwards and that was it Um and yeah I think it was all done in half a day um yeah it was, it was pretty nuts nuts morning
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean as a little spoiler there's a moment when um, Daniel kicked a rugby, board, a rugby ball towards the drone in the sky and then the shot cuts at the moment I guess there's a moment of impact is that like was that CGI or did the drone really <laughs> get knocked out of the sky like what we, happened we then?
3: wish we wish it was cgi but no the um the the gimbal was snapped as a result uh thank god i mean so that was never meant to happen that was meant to be a kind of a just a group shot um drone fly over them reveal like this really nice location and i think all the rugby guys were egging daniel on quite strongly and he performed the perfect drop kick <laughs>
0: well, so do, i mean does Red Bull pay for that? Like, how does that work?
3: Yeah, no, they did. That was oh, um, very... that was all fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very good of them. So um, you've recently stepped up from sort of the Sony range, the FS5, the FS7, to the Red Gemini. Why did you guys think it was a sort of why was it a good move for you to sort of invest in a Red camera? And how has that affected your productions?
3: Timing-wise, I think it was well. I think we'd had the F7 for three years I think and the FS5 probably for two or two and a half um, right. I think it I think it felt like the natural progression like that was what would come next um, and we had been saving basically um, since we bought the FS7 and the FS5 so we're kind of building up a kind of equipment fund essentially that's what we call it um, and then it got to the point where we thought we could afford it. We started um, putting together like a shopping basket online. And then there's Red announced that the um, all their kind of top range cameras, they were going to simplify. So that kind of brain was suddenly quite a lot cheaper. And then you would pay different amounts just for the sensor. But you you essentially got the, I think was, I think it's the weapon brain, now covers like the Gemini, the Helium Eight K, and the Monstro, um, all for kind of the price of. I'm not sure what it was. It was less than the Epic, anyway. Um, so yeah, so once we had built up, kind of, or our savings, we it suddenly felt, oh, we can afford it. Like it's a stupid amount of money, but suddenly we felt like oh, we can afford it, and we thought we could justify that the kind of quality uplift, um, just the dynamic range, just kind of, and also just our competitors, I think, like just to stay, try and stay top of of our game or at least where we are at the moment um, and kind of push ourselves forwards, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was quite an interesting move from Red, you know, earlier this year to sort of overnight, Get rid of a massive range of cameras and just condense it down to one one smaller range, just three bodies is all they're selling now. And people had literally invested, had no idea it was going to happen. And then, you know, the following day, the camera they'd previously bought had just sort of dropped by 50%. Yeah, I think um, if you bought I, the, was,
3: the Red Epic W kind of a week before that announcement, that would have... I don't know if they'd give you any kind of refund or anything, but that, yeah, that would have been bad.
0: Yeah, so, well, I think... Good job it didn't happen to you guys, that's all I can say. Yeah, thank God. (laughs) How important do you think it is for you to sort of constantly trying to innovate and uh, sort of try and better your projects? You know, you said you wanted to stay ahead of the curve, stay ahead of the competition. You know, obviously that's present in your work. Like, is that something you strive to do every single time?
2: Yeah, it's something, something that we're always thinking about. I think as bigger and better projects and campaigns are coming to us, I think we're wanting to kind of so keep our kit you know, gr- um, growing and u- upgrading it as, you know accordingly so that yeah these bigger budget things you know do look better than stuff we were doing three years ago um yeah we're also definitely camera geeks so it's always been a bit of a dream to get one so
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> is i mean i'm I'm very jealous i've been talking about getting i've had my fs 7 for four and a half years now and I'm thinking in a similar vein like do I step up to a Red Gemini and invest in the business or do I get another property and invest personally it's a bit of a who knows what's going to happen so anyways I'm I'm pleased you've got one and I'm very very jealous yeah well Um, I would
3: highly recommend it it's brilliant
0: (laughs) so no regrets that's good to hear
3: no no regrets and I think another thing is we really really rarely hire kit in as well so we've we would much prefer to own something and kind of know it inside out, and um, I think that way we're just really efficient. We know exactly how everything works, what we're doing. Often with hierarchy, you kind of waiting for it to arrive. You then got to set it up. Maybe you miss something or forget something. So yeah, we're big fans of kind of avoid hiring where possible. It also means if you're doing a, a smaller
2: project, smaller budget projects. Um where you normally wouldn't be able to, you know, afford a red, you can suddenly use a really nice camera on something really small, or a passion project, or something like that. So you, it's a big plus in that way.
1: Yeah. Like for us, investing in, like investing our, in doing something that isn't, isn't, you know, is more of a passion thing, is only a cost of time, and that can be it. Kind of, if, if we can do it with the equipment we've got, then we can choose we want to do something and choose not to. So, and all we've got to do is choose to give up a bit of time to it. So it's an opportunity cost as opposed to kind of an actual outlay.
0: So do you mean like short films or, you know, like documentaries? What sort of passion projects are you talking about?
1: Um, Not, I mean, we've we've not specifically done um, any short films and, or any, we've done a couple of, I guess, like mini docs, social docs, you know, kind of five, six minute things. Um, But it's more just project, I guess it's more about, I a lot for ours is client-based stuff. So if we decide to do something for a small brand that's starting out um, or that's for a community project or a social project that, you know peckham Levels where our offices, um which is kind of ultimately a community project where they've kind of in partnership with the council taken over what was an old multi-story car park and turned into creative space and offices um for lots of different businesses we can it allows us to make kind of films that they wouldn't necessarily afford to be able to make themselves commercially um and for us it's just a it's a case of just putting our time into it.
0: Yeah, it's a nice way of thinking about it. I try and work on a few passion projects myself. It's mainly short films, just to sort of keep the creative juices flowing and try try different things. You know, I think it's important to not just stick to commercial projects all the time. You know, you think outside the box. And if you can donate your time to some worthy cause, why not? I'm not saying you have to, but I have done numerous times throughout the year, and you know, it's it's a nice thing to do.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think also if it's not necessarily a client project, you can be far more creative and learn new skills just because there's no pressure there. It's all, yeah, it's kind of it's a, it's a learning opportunity, I guess.
0: Absolutely. So you also mentioned that most of your content is, is online. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of TV commercials and, and sort of narrative content? Is that something you would look to go into or do you feel like that's, that specifically you talk about TV commercials? Do you think that's more of a dying breed?
1: we made one by mistake
2: once. yeah I think I, th- I guess traditional TV uh, I guess people aren't watching it in the same way but you're still those TV ads that are going out are, are you know being shown if you're watching iPlayer that will instantly come up on there so they are still being obviously everyone's still watching them because you're kind of forced to <laughs> um, so I think yeah we're definitely like open to doing TV ads I, I think we've done a couple by accident where a social film they've sort of really loved it and decided to put it on TV. Um, so,
0: yeah. There's no difference in quality, really, is there, in terms of what you're putting, you're using cinema cameras. Not really, um, if, if you, know, you can yeah, shoot shooting. 4K, 5K, You know, it's, it's more than good enough for broadcast, certainly. Like,
2: yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, there's, the only sort of limiting factor is where they're deciding to put it. So for us, there's not much of a difference between them. It just happens to be that nowadays, most of our clients are willing to stick it on their social channels.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably also some kind of more like industry-focused thing where just traditionally TV has always been more expensive, and so where and socials always been cheaper because it's a newer thing and it's or I guess historically probably not the case anymore. But historically, you'd probably get more people view, viewing something through TV than you would for social. So you'd pay more for something on TV. That's probably now not the case. You'd probably get more or at least equal views on social, I'd Imagine depending on how much spend you put behind it. Um, but I guess that means that TV budgets have always been, always been big, um, and are now I think still bigger than most clients' social budgets. Not all of them, but most of them. Um, so we probably, I'd imagine, is considered slightly less for TV production because that's, we're, probably not expensive enough, I'd imagine. Um, but you're right. Like you could, there's nothing that's stopping a social film going on TV apart from, generally, some slightly different export settings. But I think it's just it's, yeah. probably, it's probably just a kind of a. More of a historical hangover of just generally how people how t- how kind of agency and the industry treats TV production versus um, social production.
0: Yeah, well, things like you know, if you if you're marketing uh, anything to do with alcohol, you know, if it goes on a TV commercial, you've got to put drinkware all over the ad. Whereas on social, it's not so they're not as strict with stuff like that because they're still kind of it's still evolving. People don't really know much about social. It's only been around for what ten years, whereas TV commercial has been around for yeah, it's definitely less sixty rules involved, years, you yeah. know.
1: Um, yeah i think it's probably it's, it's also like is like i said it's evolving it's changing it's that whole i think the moment is for most brands for most agencies um so there's definitely some people who are kind of doing things slightly differently with different kind of just models of how they run their businesses as, as an agency or as a brand but most mm-hmm. brands and agencies are still kind of keep those things quite separate and haven't necessarily kind of just changed the mindset of there being completely blurred lines and actually it's it's all just visual storytelling and it should be able to work across multiple platforms. Um, mm. and I think to, kind of, in the way that people are viewing habits are changing, it totally can do. Because actually a lot of TV is getting watched on your laptop or on your phone or on your smart TV, which is in the same place that all our social films are getting shown.
0: Are you interested in narrative work at all? Is that something you'd want to go into? Or are you going to stick to sort of more the marketing side of video content?
2: I think yeah, we're definitely interested. In it. I think we're doing a lot more script-based stuff this year, especially. Um, I think as we're again as we're getting given some bigger and more creative projects, we're able to. Um, you know, write proper scripts and you know, that are set to very specific storyboards and and uh, shot lists. So, I think we're definitely wanting to move more in that direction. Um, there's a couple of bits we did this year for Kettle Chips, especially that were very narrative and script based and they, they were really really fun to do and definitely something we all enjoy doing well.
3: yeah
2: yeah there's well. another one for for Cartoon Network that we just went up a couple of weeks ago that was again all heavily scripted which was fun
0: what, what was that one
2: <laughs> it's a weird one to explain it was, it was um, a luxury a, a spoof luxury watch advert for a Cartoon Network show um, sort of promoting a a toy of this watch that the character in the show wears so we had spencer matthews from made in chelsea's our model um doing a very serious watch ad with this ridiculous watch on and we had to make a sort of a fake behind the scenes film as well with spencer as this sort of very overbearing and picky like creative director so we did like an interview a scripted interview with him and lots of cutaways and it was yeah it was really fun to make and seems to have had
1: a really good reaction
0: is it is it was it made to get a reaction then do you think
1: yeah i think Just so yeah so it was different. kind of our um so the the show is Ben 10 which is a show about it's basically kind of aimed at generally i think well, like six to, to 12 year old kids it's got a look It it's a big show on cartoon network um but it was kind of uh, the project was with cartoon network and kind of their pr agency um so yeah the whole thing was created to Create a bit of noise and buzz and talk around the the show and the video and kind of ultimately then the product that was in it, um, kind of in the lead up to Christmas so that came out a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago. Um, so yeah, it's, I think that definitely was a that's a, a Christmas toy ad, but just done in a very different way.
0: Um, awesome! I have seen it and um, I, yeah, big fan. I thought it was very very cool and very slick. Was that uh, shot on the red?
3: Yeah, that was that was on red. Yeah.
0: Yeah, looks very nice. Actually,
3: the, yeah, the main the main kind of hero film of where Spencer's just kind of as a watch model was all shot on red. But then on the BTS one, we actually used a mixture of red and F seven. So we wanted the more behind the scenes shots to look slightly different. So we used the F seven for a lot of um, yeah those kind of fly on the wall handheld cutaways.
0: So why did you why have you kept the F seven?
3: Uh, largely, it, well, one, it's a really good workhorse. It's just we love the four K that comes out of it. Kind of no real issues, and it also means that we can split our team and do two shoots at once, like if if needs be. Um, so yeah, we can kind of yeah double up, do more projects, and have kind of some some cameras are more suited to some jobs. So say an interview. Focused job where you're going to be capturing kind of half hour, hour long interviews. You, the F seven probably going to suit it better than kind of racking up huge, um, huge file sizes on the red.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a proper workhorse, isn't it? It's used on tons and tons of productions from social. Yeah, to we've TV had stuff, no issues at corporate all. Corporate stuff, it's great. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Um, so as we talked about, you a lot of your work was sort of social-based, and you've had some pretty big viral hits. Are you involved in the sort of strategy behind it and trying to get those hits, or is that done elsewhere? What's the secret to getting a viral hit as well? It's a horrible question, I know. Um, I
1: think generally, we like on the whole, we're not involved in that um, the kind of the social release strategy of it. Um, I think we're probably like we uh, involved in the extent that. Cause we're involved generally in the creative side of it and, and the, obviously the making of the film then if we know you know if it's something that specifically is meant it's kind of intended to go big or that you know as part of a campaign like that then the benton's be a really good example of it where we really had a had that in the forefront of our mind when writing the script and when creating the film of is this going to create those moments and you know ultimately create a film that people are going to want to share and that has the potential to go you know, to be big and something people share around. Mm. But it's yeah, yeah. not necessarily something that we'd do, you know, we, we wouldn't necessarily be part of the, you know, the buying strategy of media to allow something to go viral. Um, I think, because, I mean, obviously not, some things are truly organically viral, but probably not brand-led stuff. It's generally had some thought and spend behind it. Does I guess there's the, talk about the Facebook, like Facebook algorithms and how that affects it.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, kind of over time, we've by working with brands and uh, we've definitely learned a few of those little tricks that you try and trick the Facebook algorithm into rating your video more you know, on their feed hi- higher up than others.
1: Yeah, I think as well like, as more and more of the brands we work with become kind of they get yeah they're more and more social savvy. Um, and as I said, I guess you kind of touched on it. There's a lot of the well, or you know, at least a few of the brands that we work with are you know huge in the social media world and you know, some of the brands you'd consider as being leading brands in content creation for social obviously like their increased understanding of social rubs off on us as well so i guess we would probably have a a good knowledge of it and that definitely influences some of the stuff we make when we're making it for social um yeah but we wouldn't get involved in the kind of the specifics of kind of the detailed strategy of how to make something go viral but we make you know hopefully help make the thing something that would be able to go viral
0: yeah cool so i want to talk a little bit about the team so obviously the, 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 your company is called brother film co you know it's made up of three brothers and what one brother from another mother i guess um <laughs> <laughs> i remember you know when i was growing up i've got a, a younger brother as well and you know we'd end up in fist fights over the most trivial of uh, thing uh, what's it like you know working with a family um are there any moments of sort of creative difference
2: i think yeah a lot of people say to us when they find out that we're actually brothers that like, how on earth do you work together every day um but i think because we've always as a hobby you know since we we're super young we've always been working kind of working together making these videos and watching the same things we have pretty similar view on or opinion on what what's good and what's not and um I don't know, we're just so used to working together that it, it doesn't seem weird or forced at all. It's just kind of what we've always done. Um I think there are definitely minor disagreements sometimes, but nothing major has ever happened. Touch wood. Um so yeah, it's it's I don't know, it's a bit of a unique situation I guess, but it's um yeah, it just works for us really well.
0: Yeah. Do you I assume you live separately as well you don't work together and live together. Definitely. Yeah,
2: definitely live separately, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess that's important, right? You know, have a bit of that work-life balance, you know, especially being siblings, um, and have known each other for such a long period of time that, you know, you need a bit of space away from each other from occasionally.
2: Yeah, definitely. We, we the first what was it the first 3 years of brother two, we me and Luke were both living at home uh with our parents and our sort of office was a room in our parents house so that was i don't know mo- moving from that to our own like flats in london's definitely been a bit of a game changer in terms of yeah that work life thing and not always
1: feeling like you're at work i think as well because yeah. just with the the the, like, the job we do it's you end up spending you know we don't have a necessarily a nine to five some days we do um actually to be honest when we're not on shoots we try our best to have a relatively strict kind of Set working day because otherwise we would be working all the hours. But I think when you're often on shoots that are you know getting up early, getting back late, it's important to, be able to just have that separation of like, actually not spending. Otherwise, we could you would very easily just spend twenty four hours a day together, which I think could probably lead to slightly more disagreements if we d- 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 didn't <laughs> get it. some kind of break.
0: Awesome. I mean, what what's next? Like, have you watched your sort of next big project coming up?
1: We've got a couple, couple of projects that we've
2: pitched on that we're sort of awaiting confirmation of that could be really exciting.
1: Um, okay. So yeah, filming something for ourselves tomorrow as a kind of a, an a, a next section from a from our show reel from this year. So we can this time last year we started making story of brother, which was, I guess our take on a show reel that was just kind of a, I guess a different way of trying to, just tell that story of the fact that, it is a company of three brothers and me the mate. Um, <laughs> So this is kind of a... The follow-up is explaining the music side of the business. So that's something we're doing this uh, this week as well, which is also why Hugo's not on the call because he's currently in the studio recording some vocal.
0: Well, we've not really touched on that much, actually. Can you just tell us a little bit about Hugo and what he does because he's not here to sort of pitch in. He just uh...
3: Yeah, so Hugo is the youngest of um, three brothers. And so when me and Marcus started brother. Um Hugo is still at uni. He was studying a music technology course, um, down in Cornwall. And while he was on that course he basically found a love of house music production, basically. House music and um DJing. So he as part I think their course was very kind of relaxed. You could kind of or very flexible. You could kind of pick exactly what you wanted to of pursue and he went down the house music route and um i think his final piece of coursework was creating three house tracks that were influenced by the history of house music um one i think the final piece of coursework somehow ended up on um, animac the radio one dj on her radar and was suddenly kind of on radio one every week kind of throughout the summer and hugo kind of launched from uni launched himself into kind of 18 months of um gigging kind of going to ibiza with annie mac doing kind of really big basically house night gigs playing festivals um and i mean he's he's played all sorts of instruments since he is kind of four or something he's always been very musical but then yeah out of uni was doing the odd freelance day of filming with us when we had bigger shoots, but ultimately was a house music producer and DJ. Um, and then as time's gone on, he yeah, he's kind of been, we've kind of, u- I guess he's still been on shoots with us, but he, we're utilising his musical talent much, much more. Um, so he's currently producing about 90% um, of the soundtracks that we use on our films, so um really recently, we took over a a new kind of space next to our office and kind of built um, built a music studio for him to work from and yeah he 's pretty much his full time job now is kind of just creating soundtracks for us to create our films to and like we're able to give him references or just suggest a style and he'll you know he'll work away for the day and have have something back to us that same day um or he's still kind of working with singers other producers to create more house music tracks which are getting released on a multitude of labels really
2: we're also Mm -hmm. starting to offer we've now got this sort of music library that we've been Building up as Hugo's created all these tracks. We've got over I think about a hundred ish now. Um and yeah, a multitude of styles. So we're offering that as a sort of alternative to the big, you know, Audio Network and Premium Beat as a sort of more tailored, high quality version of that um to you know, all our filmmaker sort of uh, friends, um which is going really well. Yeah, we're getting quite a few. Um, people yeah. using those on their own films, and it's great to see you know a, something someone else produced with our soundtrack on it. It's always great when that comes in on our email.
1: I guess it's like it's interesting. For it was probably like all born from a issue we had just like as a company. It was a little bit of a pain scrolling through standard stock music sites and having really average results and wasting that. like li- quite literally the hours it could take to find something good. Hugo could have written something better. So that's kind of where it came from is that it started doing it for our stuff and then yeah as mark says it's we've now got the library and that then kind of from a business point of view is great because it creates an alternative revenue stream for us and it's something that means that we can you know we can be on a shoot and the company can still make other money because we could have sold library track to another production company now um or another filmmaker or another director um and it, you know it's kind of expanded out to recording voiceovers for people and doing sound design on other people's films which is good from a company point of view as i said like having that Additional thing we can do, but also just like Marcus said, it's really cool to have other like our music on more stuff because it is that's just a an extra thing that kind of the brother does now, which is just really cool. And we like you know, music's again a thing. I think that a little bit from the like the sports side that everyone that like, all of us just quite like it, and uh, obviously not quite as much as Hugo, but <laughs> like, we all we all like, are music fans, and it's just sick to see music that's come out of brother then. Be on multiple multiple other films, awesome. So if you need a track, doesn't
0: um, <laughs> Big shout out to Hugo. Um, so obviously, it's really important um, as, as filmmakers to not just think creatively. That oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm working for my art because we've all got bills to pay, and you know, it's important to to charge for what you do uh, and, and to make a comfortable living whilst you still want to be creative and, and work in really, really cool areas. How much time did you say you spend on filmmaking versus on building the business? Well,
1: that's interesting.
2: I think it's got, building the business side has definitely got easier since, I mean, for the first, was, well, it was slowly built out. Originally, it was just Luke doing it full-time and then it was me and Luke for a couple of years and then Hugo and Adam both joined full-time last September. Um, so I, as we've expanded, I think it's definitely got easier. I think even when it was just me and Luke, often it, we had two projects on the go that we're both editing and, you know, doing shoots. So you, the time we had to think about anything else other than the like physical sort of task of making films was pretty minimal. Um, so, yeah, I think having four instead of two and especially Adam, who is sort of um, account managing and producing, and I think that combination with, definitely be able to find a lot more time to think about the business you know in a larger way which so yeah I guess the last year has definitely stepped up that
1: side of it. I'd say how much probably how much changes it still changes week to week cause I think it's still we're twice as big as we were but still really small if that makes sense like we're, there's still times where it's just like oh actually we're so busy we haven't got time to think about it because we've got three things we're filming this week and we're producing something else and we're planning something for next month and actually the idea of just having time to even think about another new project can be can be hard um we just, so we do like we have a a quarterly kind of meeting between um between a lot of us which gives us that opportunity to i guess it's like it's quite a kind of you know, it's a very traditional business thing to have a quarterly meeting but actually that's really good for us to have a day out where we definitely don't film anything that day we're not editing that day that is just time to think about you know review what we've done over the last quarter and think about what we're going to do over the next quarter and that always kick starts us into it's kind of remind, it's an opportunity to kind of breathe for a second start thinking about actually let's think about some slightly more kind of medium to long term things as opposed to getting otherwise it's really easy, I think to get caught up in the short term of like we've just got to make these things this week
3: yeah, and I think um, out of those quarterly meetings, I think the red was one of those decisions that happened. I think the music studio was another decision that came out of a quarterly meeting. Um, and we've we've kind of our life revolves around a whiteboard in our office, and kind of after each quarterly meeting, we've generally got new kind of long term tasks um, which are on there that we're always looking at, and kind of that forces you to think about it.
0: New toys to buy, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the never-ending question. It is a never-ending never
3: pit, but it's good fun.
0: Cool. So I'm very conscious of your time, guys. I've just got a couple of last sort of quickfire questions that I'd like to throw at you uh, just to wrap up. Um, so obviously one of you could answer or all of you could answer whatever you, whatever's easiest, but what would be some advice that you would give to your 21-year-old self?
3: I think some of our best jobs and clients have come through kind of family and friends really I think it's your family and friend like network is so key like that's I I guess like mates want to work with mates and if you're doing good work there's no reason not to work with your uh, like someone you know so I think recommendations are the best way of getting good work Um, so yeah utilise your network and um, push that as far as you can I think
0: yeah nice one um, what would you say are sort of your, your goals and ambitions for the, for the next five years? Have you thought about that? Ooh. I,
1: I don't know whether we've set out something as far as five years. So the, I think because we're only six now, it's, yeah, yeah, it's That's tricky. a weird concept, being twice as old as a business. I think from a personal point of view, someone said to me, Yes, yeah, so I basically I've always felt like having long term goals just wasn't really for me like that long term, and then someone said to me essentially a line that I just used to justify not having long term goals or any kind of pension, um, <laughs> that if you're kind of if you're so focused on this is exactly what we're going to in the future, then you could miss the opportunities that open up to themselves kind of in the short medium term. So I think we probably all know what we feel like the you know, kind of where we're going over the next year or two, and then I think. That will will keep having that that and that I'm sure will evolve kind of uh, continually until we end up five years down the line. Yeah, I think there's very general things like having a bigger
2: studio. We, we want really want a half pipe in our studio at some point. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a one thing. Five um, it's and like I think Van house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we, we ever want to be a really big company. I th- I, can, I can imagine having two, maybe two more, three. three for more of us but that's kind of where it would stop I think I think one of our I think we love being small and I think our clients love us being small as well
0: yeah yeah no that's interesting yeah Um, focus on the here and now I think is is important without looking too far into the future Um, what do you guys like to do outside of work has anyone got any hidden talents
1: Adam loves to go climbing (laughs) I'm big into bouldering at the moment that's quite much a new passion, though, so I don't know if I can count that as a hidden talent.
3: <laughs> I don't really know. Hugh, well, I guess Hugo's more house, house music focus is that kind of never stops um, for him. He absolutely loves it. He has his own radio show on Kiss Fresh, so often he's kind of recording these hour-long sets which go out every, was it, 10, Wednesday 10. at 10 p.m.? He's on Kiss Fresh Radio. Um,
0: nice plug. Thank you. To Yeah,
3: I think, yeah, I think, well, I think me and,
2: I think all this like photography, like, I'd love to take photos in my spare time. We'd love to um, take behind the scenes stuff on all our shoots to stick on our Instagram, but I think that's definitely a hobby outside of brother stuff. Um,
1: food? we're all massive into food Yeah, I think we're quite foody actually. Aren't we? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, we do normally thinking about or talking about food. Mm. You need it or else you die. <laughs> it's important.
0: Finally, to sort of finish off. Where can where can people learn more about you? You mentioned you're on Instagram.
2: Yeah, I think probably our Instagram is
1: maybe one of the best things to start on. I think. Yeah, exactly. um, it's probably where we put most of our effort into talking to people. Probably because we just like it the most. Like yeah. Brother Filmco On Instagram um, or the website, which is brotherfilmco.com. But the Instagram's the one, yeah. I think that's, that's our favourite.
0: Awesome. I'll put all the the links and all that sort of stuff in the the description in the show oh, notes.
1: Great. Thanks.
3: Mate. What about pick and filming? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. we that's so quite that. a good outside of work. Actually, yeah, I i, yeah. I forgot about. Yes, yeah, so we. Lock, what was that? It's got. It's a bit of a detour, but. Well, no, it kind of, it kind of links back to the question on what you do outside of work, um, but basically part of the building that our office is in so Peckham Levels is a community run or council run and community kind of scheme and part of getting the office here um, includes kind of community hours and it was quite loose and open as to how you might um, kind of count those hours and since actually it all started when we created a film for the building Um, that actually got shown in a local cinema ahead of every single film and it kind of had our name at at the end and as a result of that we had quite a few it's kind of like three or four a week probably emails from local um, directors filmmakers kind of sound guys like anyone really that just kind of wanted a coffee or a beer or just a kind of meeting just to chat Um, so we did a whole bunch of these and then it just kind of quickly became apparent that all these people should be meeting all these people. Um, so we created a... Well, Facebook seemed the best place to house it, but so it's yeah, we created a Facebook group called Peckham Filmmakers, um, added all these people to it, had like a drinks event. We had, I think we had 14 or 15 to the first one. And then since then, word spread, and we're now up to about 340 members. And we do kind of monthly events, be it drinks events or movie screenings or kind of panel Q and A stuff. Um, but it's been wicked. It's been so like exciting building this thing up and seeing how big it's got, and being able to kind of build that local community because people are. Getting jobs through it, people are selling equipment, hiring equipment, or just borrowing stuff, getting advice. Um, Yeah,
2: making new friends as well. We've seen people who've just met and now they're sort of linking up, making short films together. And yeah, it's pretty cool to see.
0: Nice one. Well, you know, that's really cool. Um, And the fact that people are using it regularly is is awesome. It's a testament to what you guys are doing. So uh, I hope it grows and I hope more and more people get involved.
3: Thanks. thanks. Thank you.
0: Um, so yeah, thanks very much for your time guys. I think we'll probably sort of come to a close if that's all right. I obviously am conscious of your time.